Hi, I'm Valerie Moisel. Over 20 years ago, I co-founded my company with a creative spark, an entrepreneurial spirit, and a fearless attitude. I've long dreamed of sharing a space where I can interview successful women and hear them talk from their hearts about how they found their way. What I'm learning is it's not such a linear path. We all have what I call the four S's. The initial spark, the snag which trips you up, the shift that helps you find your way to the final S, success. No, not always in that order. And yes, sometimes the steps repeat. Together, we will learn from each other and be inspired. These are women who rule. This is She Dynasty. Welcome to a very special episode of She Dynasty. Today, we have the honor of speaking with the legendary Susie Weiss Fishman, the co-founder of OPI. Susie is known as the first lady of nails, and OPI Nail Polish has become the number one professional salon brand in the world, sold in more than 100 countries. Susie is also the author of the upcoming book, I'm Not Really a Waitress, How One Woman Revamped the Beauty Industry One Color at a Time, which is an emotional recollection of her entire journey from her humble beginnings in Hungary all the way to her tremendous success. I had the pleasure of reading Susie's book, and I'll tell you, it was so good that once I picked it up, it was really hard to put it down. The book will be available for everyone to read March 12, 2019. To celebrate this amazing book, OPI will be releasing a curated collection of iconic shades hand-picked by Susie. The I'm Not Really a Waitress collection is now available exclusively at Ulta, and Ulta has very generously provided us with an exclusive coupon code to share with our listeners today. This is a She Dynasty first, so it's really special. And honestly, this collection is gorgeous. Just use the code OPI Waitress for 15% off the entire collection at Ulta.com through January 26th. Before we chat with Susie, I'm also very excited to introduce our co-host for the day, Sky Nate. Sky is a lifestyle blogger with a social media presence filled with worldwide travels and fashion advice. Her social media channels focus on inspiring others to explore the unknown and get out of their comfort zone. Hi, Sky. Hi, Valerie. Thank you for having me. Sky, we are such huge fans of your work, and we thought you would be the perfect co-host for Susie's interview. Thank you for joining us. Tell us why you were so excited to co-host this episode today. Well, I mean, besides the fact that I'm a big fan of the brand itself already, to be able to sit here and actually meet Susie in person is very inspiring to me as every woman out there literally owns every single nail polish from them. And Susie is just such an inspiring person, not only because she's such a creative, but also she was born and raised in Hungary and me um, from Lithuania. And that is why I find this story and Susie herself being so inspiring and empowering because she's created something out of nothing that everyone worldwide knows about. It is amazing. I think that you have a lot of parallels with Susie just because... Um, you also aren't from America, and you've come here, and obviously you're building your own brand. Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm just <laughs> learning from her. Yes, you are. Well, Susie will be here soon, so I'm excited to hear from her. Me too. I can't wait to meet her. Now, without further ado, I want to welcome our guest of honor to this very special roundtable. Welcome to She Dynasty, Susie. I'm so excited. Thank you for having me. Is this your first podcast? My first. <laughs> Welcome to trying something new. I said life is all about experiences, so. It is, it is. And now you can cross that off your list. That exactly. You, that you've done a podcast, right? 
Well, Susie, I read your book, and I have to tell you, um, it made me cry. It made me smile. It made me want to root for you. But most of all, it made me aspire to want to be more like you. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Um, what I loved about the book is that it was such a simple yet complex story. And as I you know, read it, I just I really got to feel like I knew who you were at your core. And so you do a really good job kind of explaining what motivates and drives you. Thank you. So one quick thing that we have in common, and I wanted to bring this up and I was really excited when I read it, is that you said that you used to be a chronic nail biter. <laughs> and I am a what I call a recovering nail biter myself. And how ironic that you have built this global nail polish company, yet you bit your nails. How did you deal with that? I remember being in New York and going to school on the subway. And by the time I got to school, when I had a test, I had no nails. Yeah, that sounds like me. And uh, the way I kind of overcame this nail biting addiction is having manicures and kind of seeing little results and then even a little better results. And then all of a sudden your brain says, you know what? No more. No more. All right, so Susie, you have had an incredible life journey, but it always wasn't so rosy. So when I was reading about your tough childhood in then-communist Hungary, your family's escape to Israel was really eye-opening. Tell us what Hungary was like and how your family managed to escape. I'm Jewish, and, um, you know, it was in those times you couldn't observe uh, your religion freely, and um, we had to hide. When I was growing up, I mean, I didn't know anything different, so that was life for me as a little girl. The only thing, you know, I remember is we had to close blinds. We had to be careful when we wanted to observe some of the holidays. And so many times uh, the secret police would come and take my dad, and it would be always in the middle of the night. Right. And then one time they took my mom. And that's when my dad said, we're leaving. And we were lucky enough to find the route and uh, the entire family left together to Israel. So I read in your book that leaving to Hungary to go to Israel felt like Dorothy's transition from Kansas to Oz. Can you paint that picture for us in a little bit more detail? I mean, as simple as going to a supermarket and having choices of coffee or candy or cookies as opposed to just one. And sometimes when my mom would stand in line in Hungary, by the time she got to the front of the line, there wouldn't be any left. Wow. So to be able to go to a market where you have plentiful and choices was like uh, an amazing event. Wow. It's hard to imagine life like that. So Israel was really a di had a very different sensation for you. It was a very positive experience. Extremely. I felt free for the first time, having choices, friends, being able to talk freely, doing things, observing, you know, obviously being Jewish, going to school. So after three years, your parents made another bold decision to move your family to the U.S. How did that feel different than the other places you called home once you got here? So my father's dream was to come to America. And uh, we arrived in New York in 1969. And that was probably the most eye-opening uh, event of my life, uh, coming to New York City. I mean, f first time I was walking and I said to somebody, excuse me, where's the Empire State Building? And he said, little girl, look up. <laughs> It was above you, you didn't realize. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize. That's so funny. So um, it was just freedom, again, choices. Um, it kind of introduced me to fashion, to beauty, and, um, and freedom. 
So what kinds of new opportunities were shown to you once you got to America? That anything is possible. You know, hard work, which is, I always tell young people today when I speak to them, infinite opportunities and anybody can do what I did, but you have to work hard. Right. And so how old were you when you first got here? I was 12. You were 12. So you were immediately put into school. Yes. And was it difficult to make friends and to kind of fit in? Very difficult. I had to attend classes for English as a second language after school, so stay always late. And I remember all these boys were throwing (laughs) things into my hair. But um, that gave me the inspiration to go home and study harder so that I don't have to attend those classes for too long. Right. So you, you were really determined to learn English. Always. And I, I really grew up, and the one thing that communism uh, instilled in me was um, discipline. Right. And that worked very well throughout my life, in my schooling, in my work, in business. I have extreme discipline and passionate and determined to accomplish things. I read that you wrote that in your book, and I love that you took something that was kind of negative and you've turned it into an incredible positive. Absolutely, and I'm a very positive person. I mean, I wake up and uh, I always try to see life and the world in a positive uh, sense. Beautiful. So even though you've lived through some really difficult times in your early childhood, you always had a tremendous amount of love and sense of family from your mom and dad. Tell us the impact that your parents had on you. I mean, I grew up in a very loving home. Uh, both my parents are Holocaust survivors, but um, we always had great love. And, you know, in this crazy world, the one thing you always have is your family. I consider myself extremely lucky because I had two loving parents and I have a sister. And it was it was probably um, throughout my life, my sister, my parents were always there for me. And... You know, I really give a lot of credit to your parents because obviously that, you know, if you were in an environment that was tough and the fact that they were able to just give you and show you so much love is just such a testament to the kind of people they are. So that's incredible. Absolutely. My mommy has a smile on her face every day, which is incredible. Love it. So you wrote in your book that America was the first place that you gained the maturity and the opportunity to pay attention to things like fashion, color, and self-expression. Tell us why. I always loved fashion and beauty since I was a little girl, and uh, I remember Bloomingdale's when it first uh, opened and uh, looking at a dress that I couldn't afford, and um, I worked all the time after school, and I would save up until I could get that one particular dress. Of course, when I went back, my my size was not available, but that's okay. There was another time when it was, and I could, could afford it, so... I always loved fashion, and I was—I had the patience to wait for what I wanted. So you would save your money and just kind of wait? Absolutely. Infinite options, and again, you can do anything. I mean, it's, this is an amazing thing about this country, is you can be anybody, no matter who you are. When you come here, you can achieve anything you want. It's really a special thing that not everybody in the world gets to do. Absolutely. So I read that you met your business partner in a very non-traditional way. Tell us how you met. So George Schaefer, my business partner, was also my brother-in-law, and I remember first time I opened the door when he came to pick my sister up for a date, and he had this huge afro. Oh, that's funny. And I'm like, George? He said, yes, and that was our first meeting. And so you, so George became part of your family, 
And I understand that George's family owned a company in New York. Is that correct? Yes. They used to manufacture half slips when all women, women. It was very fashionable to wear half slips on the dresses. Oh, interesting. Wait, tell a lot of our, our listeners might not know what that is. So explain what a half slip is. It's kind of a lining almost to a skirt or to a dress. So in case it's sheer or see-through or you would wear a half slip under it. Interesting. Are there any companies that still make half slips? I don't think so. I don't think so either. I think they're just making clothes differently now. Yeah, I agree. Different fabrics. Right. So um, eventually you and George worked together at his family's company. Is that correct? Yes. Every day after school, I would go to the factory and I would be in the shipping department. So I would put in the tickets you know, it has like a little plastic tag yes. uh-huh. that called the denison gun. So you would take the ticket oh, the, yeah, and then you would, you would kind hand of punch hand, them. hand punch them in, right? So what did you learn from working at the company, which was called Rosemary Manufacturing? Is that correct? Yes. Um, I learned hard work, discipline. I got paid every week, which was the good part. And um, I also learned how to work efficiently. And uh, I remember, you know, if you just, sometimes it was boring or it was hard, but as long as, again, that disciplined person as I was, you know, I accomplished my tasks every day. And I also learned how to uh, run all aspects of the business, dealing with uh, your employees and um, accounting and shipping and marketing and advertising. So it really taught me the entire gambit of how to run a business. Right. So you were just kind of um, absorbing it, taking it all in, just learning every aspect of how a business works. Very much so. Invaluable. I mean, things that you learn um, that you're able to take and use it later in your business is invaluable. So your family likes to move a lot. So um, you guys then came to Los Angeles. What prompted that move? Um, George Schaefer, my uh, brother-in-law, bought a business uh, in Los Angeles. He came to visit and the sun was shining all the time. Who doesn't want to live in? Right. I agree with you. In LA. And he bought the dental supply business. And then we all moved to Los Angeles. So you moved the entire family, your parents. You guys were like one unit. Always. I love it. So OPI was born, but in the beginning, it was called Odontorium Products, Inc. And as you said, you originally sold dental products. So what sparked the idea for you and George to transition into the nail care industry? It's really a unique story in the professional beauty industry. We saw that making dentures is the same chemistry as making artificial nail extensions, which was so popular in the early 80s. And um, like George said, it's so much more fun to work with nail technicians than dental technicians. And we saw up, uh, up and down Ventura Boulevard in the San Fernando Valley, there was a nail salon or more than one at every corner. And um, we saw an opportunity. I mean, both George and I are entrepreneurs and really seized an opportunity that became OPI and this uh, global business. But how did you make the connection? Like, how did you, did you walk into a nail salon and say, hey, do you want to try this product? Or did you, like, how did that work? Nail technicians came into the dental supply uh, business to buy a product that was used for uh, dentures. But it was really not legal to sell to in the, uh, for nails, because the bonding was so strong that if somebody hit their fingers, the whole nail would come off. So we met a young chemist who was working in the professional um, movie industry for special effects. 
and he came up with a formula that was legal to use for artificial nail extensions. And that's how OPI started. So this is really interesting. So the idea was kind of born because nail technicians were coming to you asking for something, and you guys saw the opportunity to then transform the business into something else. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's crazy how ideas are born. I love that story. So what was your role in the beginning years of the company? What did you do there? Fill the bottles, <laughs> pack the orders. Uh, I remember working with a young high school boy that I would take home every night because I didn't want him to ride the bus. He would come from school and help me put labels and fill the bottles. So did it start immediately with nail polish? Was that off the bat? No. First, we only addressed the professional side of the salon business. So the uh, nail enhancements and anything that you needed to use to do a, a nail, like brushes, files, forms, things like that, nail polish came later. So what sparked the idea to move into nail polish? We really, I mean, I love color and fashion, but we also wanted to get to the consumer. We wanted the consumer to ask for OPI when she went into a salon. Because before, if you liked the service that your nail technician provided, you didn't really ask what product did you use. Right. But we wanted the consumer because at the end of the day, the loyalty of the consumer is super important. Yes, and what a smart strategy to have people walk into nail salons and ask for your product by name is an incredible way, obviously, to build your brand. Absolutely. I mean, I remember uh, Starbucks. I have a daughter who's 25, and she never said, Mom, would you like a cup of coffee? She always says, Mom, would you like a Starbucks? And that kind of asking where a brand becomes the product so OPI, people, you know, when they think of nail polish or nail lacquer, they say OPI. It becomes synonymous. It does, and you've absolutely achieved that. So when you launched your debut collection, it created a lot of buzz and turned heads. And at the time, you and George thought it was just your 15 minutes of fame. And this was done before social media. So I want you to explain for our younger listeners how that happened before the Internet even existed. So if we looked at the category nails and you know today you would call us disruptors then we rebranded the category and we did it through the traditional means by sending out press releases sending products to beauty editors and when we got an editorial mention it was like gold right and did PR events you know really it was that personal relationship that established with the beauty editors uh, with consumer magazines that really helped to launch the brand uh, to the consumer. So obviously that fame lasted for way more than 15 minutes. We're going on 37 years. Um, what an incredible accomplishment. Does it feel that way to you? You know, people ask me actually, what was your aha moment? And I don't really have an aha moment. You know, I went to work every day and I felt I was so lucky because I loved what I did every single day. And it was an organic, you know, growth, and it just felt normal. I, you know, I, when I accomplished something, I always looked, what am I going to do next? Like, how am I going to anniversary this success? So I never looked at that one specific moment. It was many moments. And so OPI had an incredible female empowerment message even back in the 80s. And you wrote in your book that most women back then had no idea how empowering nail color could be. Why do you think that was? You know, it was like maybe like my mom would go to get her nails done, but she never thought that was more than just getting, you know, some mauve or pink color on her nails. 
And I saw nail color as, you you know, first of all, it's an amazing way of self-expression. You can be anybody, you can wear any color. Uh, it's so acceptable. And you can send messages through nail polish. It changes your look and your outlook. You can feel sexy and you can feel passionate and you can be fun with it and you can be conservative with it. You can be anything you want to be. And I said, wow, with nail polish. And that was really my message. I mean, I always wanted to empower women and uh, that was nothing was impossible. You know, personally, one of my very favorite moments every week is going to the nail salon and choosing my color. And I always think about, um, you know, when I stand in front of the entire rack of OPI color, I really think about what the week ahead of me is and what I want to communicate to the world. And there's some weeks where I need to be more conservative and more buttoned up. And there's other weeks where I need to be more creative and a little bit more out there. And so it's true. Nail polish really gives you the ability to express yourselves in um, a very kind of quiet but bold way. And I notice that when I do pick colors that are a little bit bolder or you know a little bit out there, I always get compliments on them, and I've kind of achieved um, you know what I've set out to do. So, it's it's powerful, and you know I think that a lot of people um, really realize that. And what did you hope that OPI would stand for in the lives of women wearing it at the time? For them to realize that if they uh, look good, they feel good to make them, uh, you know, through nail color, empower them. And just by choosing, you know, nail color, it's a great conversation piece. You can walk into a board meeting with blue nails and green nails, and everybody says, wow, your nails look amazing, and put nail art on it for uh, special occasions. And, you know, when times are good or times are bad or sad, Nail color just makes you feel good, and it gives you that instant gratification. It really does. So I was so excited to try a new color this week. I tried I'm Not Really a Waitress, so it was my first time, and I have to tell you, it's a great color. And I know it's part of the collection that you're putting out, which we're going to talk about in a little while. So you've touched on this a little bit, but I want to talk more about your work ethic and how much time and dedication and effort that you have put into building OPI and what it's become. And you wrote a quote, and I'm going to read it. I spent nearly all of my waking hours working. OPI was a true passion for me. And to this day, I still love going to work and feel restless on the weekends as I wait impatiently for Monday morning to arrive. I feel most uncomfortable when I'm supposed to be relaxing. I even detest the word. I'm the most at home and the most useful when I'm working. Susie, do you ever have guilt about feeling this way, especially with work-life balance being such a hot topic these days? Not at all. And you make choices. I mean, did I have a facial? Not in 20 years. Do I go to get a massage? No, I'd rather go to, went to my kids' sports games. And, and you really make choices. And some of the things that were I was going to do for myself, I had to let go. But that's okay. Those are the choices I made. And, you know, each of us has to make the choices that works for them and for their family, and uh, never feel guilty or bad because you made some choices. Whatever women feel is the right thing for them is the right thing. I can't tell you how much I identify with this. I was so relieved to hear that someone else felt similarly to me about how dedicated they are to their company. So I, I really understand that passion and how important it is to take care of it. I also understand that for many, many years, you were on the front lines of working side by side with your employees, doing things like boxing products, invoicing, cleaning up, doing whatever you needed to do to get done. 
and you wrote that you felt like you had two families, one at home and one at work. Can you expand on this? Absolutely. So the home family is two kids and uh, like you, you know, very passionate. I mean, people ask me what's my greatest uh, passion and accomplishment in life. It's my kids and a great husband. But my OPI family was equally important. And we had an amazing culture at OPI that really uh, we valued people, we respected people. I mean, the person who took out the, the trash was just as important because if he didn't do it, we couldn't work right. sitting around the trash. So there was no hierarchy. Everybody was on the same level. And it really was a family business. And I said we couldn't have never accomplished what we did without the people's dedication, hard work. And we took everybody on this amazing ride with us. You did. And when I read the book, and I don't want to give too much away because I really want people to read your book, um, the culture that you built at OPI seemed so special, so unique, so incredible that I want people to go read all the amazing things that you um, did with your employees and for your employees. The number one, we had fun. Yes, (laughs) sounds like it. So like many successful business owners, I'm sure you experienced many, many snags in your career. One of your biggest snags is what I'm calling the lipstick fiasco. Tell us what happened and what did you learn from that experience? Don't do something that you don't know too much about. I mean, we always thought there was this time when people would match nail polish with their lipstick. So we said, oh, what a great idea to expand into lipstick. Except we didn't do our research, we didn't do our homework, and that many times happens to people that want to get into a category. And so I always caution to make sure that you do um, a lot of background work. And the one thing that happened, there is an expression called blooming, where all the lipsticks uh, had these little sweat marks on them, (laughs) like millions of them, because it was the summer and... uh, We didn't keep it in a cool place because we didn't have the opportunity. So millions of lipsticks had to be trashed. Millions of lipsticks. Millions. And that really hurt the company at a time where it couldn't afford to be hurt uh, like that. And that almost took us down. Wow. So what did you learn from that experience? Again, do your research, uh, focus on your category, what you, do what you know best. And really, before you want to branch out into something new, which I'm not against, I think it's important to... Of course, but just know what you're getting into and do your research. Absolutely, and make sure you launch beauty products at the right time of the year. <laughs> For sure. So you made a big decision to change the focus of OPI marketing from professionals to consumers. And you were the very first to advertise directly to them, which is obviously brilliant. Um, Why did that work so well? And how did it um, shift the way people perceived OPI? We were the first advertisers in InStyle magazine. The first nail polish advertiser in the first issue of InStyle magazine. Wow. Again, we wanted to go to the consumer to ask for OPI when they went into the salon. The professional part of our business was equally important, but it was very important to go to the consumer so that OPI became a household word. That's such a bold move for back then, I, I, having a, an ad for nail polish, because you were the first that ever had done it. First ever, first ever professional beauty company that went to a consumer magazine to advertise. It was, I remember signing the first uh, agreement with InStyle on a napkin in a restaurant. <laughs> were you nervous that it was a mistake at the time, or you knew it was going to hit? I knew it was going to be a hit. 
So what was the big shift moment when you knew that things were really starting to go your way, that OPI was going to grow into a huge global company? What was that first moment where you really looked at yourself and said, we've got something good here? As I mentioned, you know, I went to work every day and loved what I did. And then one day there was a story about me in the Los Angeles Times and people would come up to me in the supermarket. Oh, we saw you and we saw you. I'm like, really? <laughs> I was a little embarrassed, but um, it really put me into the consumer's eye. Wow. So that was like your first time that you kind of felt that people were taking notice to what you're doing in a, a much bigger way than you had ever expected. Exactly. So once you started to feel the success, how did your work ethic change? It did not. <laughs> I had to work even harder. As I said, once I accomplished something, it was always like, how do I anniversary it? How do I make this even better? Yeah, I think there's a perception out there that uh, once a successful person um, kind of hits success, they kind of slow down. But um, I think it's important to note, and it's a really good learning for people, that you've got to keep going if you want your company to continue to be successful. Always. How did you make the decision to finally sell the company? I know it was a very difficult decision for you. I can't even imagine after you've put so much blood, sweat, and tears into that company. How did you make that decision? There were two components. One, uh, it was at the height of the market. So um, nails were on top, growing 30 40% a year. So in the brain, it's kind of makes sense at some point to take money off the table and because everything is reinvested in the business as it grows. Right. So at some point you say, okay, maybe it's time to to do that. And uh, second, there were some transitions in the family and that was the final kind of decision to do it. So I have to tell you, when I read the part about you selling your company, um, I got chills and I actually cried. And I know that sounds kind of crazy, but it's because of how you built up um, the story of how much it meant to you and your culture and how much you put into it. And you just illustrate it so beautifully. And what I want you to do is describe the feeling that day, because you talk about it in the book, of when you got the phone call that the transaction was done. I'm ready to cry now even. Uh, it was a very difficult day. It was kind of an end of a, an era. And uh, everybody thought I'm retiring. And this was on a Friday. And Monday, I called up uh, Cody. And I said, I changed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really mean it. So they told me, we were waiting for this phone call. And it's been eight years. And I'm still uh, involved with the company under the new leadership. Wow. Did you feel like a huge burden had been lifted off you? That you just, all of a sudden, you weren't responsible for so many people's lives and livelihood and... You know, you just had this like sense of freedom. So it definitely lifted that financial burden that you have when you own your own business. I always say when you have to, that first payroll that you have to make or the taxes that you have to make, pay or the rent that you have to pay right. every single week or every single month. And that burden was off and it gave me more of a creative freedom to to do other things like I don't have to ever think about the, the other parts of the business but only focus on what I most love which is the creative part another part that made me tear up in the book and I cried multiple times was when you decided to travel with your mother back to Auschwitz where she had lost her parents and her family in the holocaust how old was your mom when you took her back she was about 82 82 tell us about that moment and what it meant for you 
a very emotional moment. Um, my mom ran through the gates and uh, she was running to the rubbles where the crematorium was because her two brothers and her mom were gassed there and she was sent to the right, so she survived. So a moment where you cry, but also a moment to be proud that I'm here, I'm alive, uh, living in the United States, been able to come back and uh, the Holocaust was, you know, didn't wasn't successful because here I am with my I have children, I have my own family, and uh, able to come back and see the horrors, but then leave and uh, live in freedom. And so you mentioned also that when she got there, it was very familiar to her, like she knew exactly where to go. It was like she was just there yesterday. Is that correct? Yes. I mean, my sister and I were saying, "Mom, slow down," as if she was running. And, uh, you know, we could hardly keep up and, you know, with her. And we said, and she knew exactly where to go, which was kind of eerie. Yeah, I can imagine. So this probably has a lot to do with the next question I have. I know that giving back is a huge part of your DNA, and you also have instilled that value into the OPI company. Tell us why this became such a driving force in how you operated your business. You know, my dad always taught us, if you give, you get. And I always lived by that uh, motto and the word tzedakah, which is a Yiddish word for, you know, doing good. And um, as I said, the one thing, if I could say what success meant, is that I'm able to help other people. And giving back was very important to our employees, to our children of employees, or to other charities that, uh, usually women's uh, issues, which was very important. Obviously, we worked with women mostly in the business. So uh, heart disease, uh, breast cancer, uh, lung cancer, which I never even knew that affected so many women, and, and many other charities that were very women-focused. Beautiful. So I'm going to shift gears for a minute. Everyone knows OPI for its clever and memorable naming of shades. What sparked the idea to start doing this? And tell us about that process. So we wanted to make nail color very personal to women and really uh, have them connect with the brand. And the two things that we love most at OPI is to travel and to eat. (laughs) So if you notice, the collections are always destination-based, country, a city. And a lot of names, a lot of colors are named after food. Uh, so there's about six of us at OPI from different departments. And we sit when a uh, spring, fall, or holiday collection is decided. And we always have food that's representative of that uh, city. I love uh, that. Eating is always very important. And then we come up with re- literally hundreds of names. And then we decide on... And not just anybody was allowed to name the bottles, right? It was a very kind of uh, tight group of people. Very very tight and very secretive. (laughs) (laughs) So how did developing memorable and creative names help OPI's success? It really is part of the brand's DNA. And uh, people always look forward to the fashion-forward colors, but also to the fun, iconic names. So what special skills do you need to have to be able to name an OPI nail polish shade? Crazy, funny, and um, literally there was no specific formula for it. 
it's like I said, there were six crazy people. But you just kind of identified who was good at it and put them all in a room and you guys had fun. Yes, it took usually about six to eight hours to wow. accomplish, yeah. Each, like you'd sit down for a session behind closed doors and then all of a sudden the doors would open and the collection would be named. Exactly. I love That's that. exactly how it happened. I love that. So Susie, your book um, coincides with a new OPI collection. Tell us about this collection, because I know that you hand chose the colors in this collection. So why did you choose the colors that are in it? So the collection is I'm Not Really a Waitress, and it's really the most iconic OPI shade that has won the most awards from magazines, from consumers. And the other shades that are in this collection are also iconic colors um, that have been, that have really stood the time, the trends, and they're still very fashionable and relevant. And to many women, they're like the go-to nail color. Sometimes they try something funky and fun, and then they go back to one of the iconic shades right. in this collection. So when does the collection launch? January 2019. So the name of your book is I'm Not Really a Waitress, and it's also the name of your collection. Why that name? It really tells women that they can be anybody they want to be, including a waitress, that there are no limits. They can accomplish anything. And that's the whole uh, premise of my book. Beautiful. So I have so many more questions, but I don't want to give too much away because I really want people to read your book. It's truly an emotional and beautiful story. So I know that Sky has many of her own questions. So at this point, I'm going to hand the mic back over to her. But before I do, Susie, I just want to thank you for doing this interview, being a part of the She Dynasty family. I've had the privilege of interviewing such inspiring women. And, you know, it's it's one thing to do research on the Internet and read articles about you. But to read your book touched me in such a personal way. And I really hope that everyone takes the time to hear and read what you um, went through just because, again, as I said, your humbleness and your spirit of giving back and the way that you have ran your company from day one is something that I you know, aspire to, to do with my own company. So thank you. Thank you for being an inspiration to me and to everyone listening today. Thank you for those kind words. I really appreciate it. All right, so um, with that, I think I'm going to hand it back over to Sky. So I just have a quick question, which I've narrowed it down from probably 50 questions that I've had total. <laughs> um, what is your absolute favorite color if you had to choose one? Which I know there's a couple thousand of them, but if you had to choose one, what would it be? The one that equals the most dollar signs. <laughs> which one is that? <laughs> <laughs> it's hard for me to choose. You know, I love reds. Mm-hmm. So probably um, anything in the red family, Big Apple Red, uh, more Burgundy, Malaga wine. I'm not really a waitress, of course. Um, but, you know, all colors. I mean, each one is amazing. And uh, like I said, can uh, change your look and your outlook. It's like choosing which is my favorite child. You know, it's always hard. They're all equal. <laughs> I love them all. And I know OPI has done many, many collaborations with some amazing artists and other brands. So which one stands out to you the most or is one of your favorites? I wanted to make OPI more of a lifestyle brand for the consumer to think of it, not just nail polish, but for it to be part of her life. Whether she was listening to her favorite music or favorite artist or watching her favorite movie or even painting the wall in her home. And so that's how the idea of collaborations and, of course, OPI being located in Southern California, in Hollywood, it was a natural, which is my favorite 
you know, each one collaborating with the movie is amazing. You work with studios, with celebrities. When you, it's a single artist, uh, a singer, or somebody like Serena, you know, most uh, successful tennis player in the world. I mean, each of these people are special. And what I always looked for, that nails were a very important part of their life. So it was never make-believe nails. Uh, Serena is a licensed nail technician. I mean, she did my own nails. <laughs> Once she came to OPI, she did my nails. So uh, whether it's Kerry Washington, I mean, these people love their nails. They get their nails done all the time. So it was a natural. I always wanted it to be a natural collaboration. And the celebrities collaborated very much with myself on choosing the colors, the shades, the collection. So they were really a big part of it. Amazing. Um, if you met your younger self, what is one advice, what is one piece of advice you would give yourself? Patience. It's a good one. Yes, it's uh, something that all successful people have. And if they don't, if you want to be successful, you must learn. Patience is a key. And what would you consider your greatest accomplishment? Of course, my two kids uh, and uh, and OPI and, and having a brand that really has such a broad appeal and love by women all over the world. It really amazes me. Wherever I go, wherever I travel, I say OPI and people's eyes light up. And what would you say the word success means to you? Success is being able to give back to people that are less fortunate. And if you can make a difference in just one person's life, that's okay. And if you can do it in hundreds and thousands and millions, that's even better. But just making a difference in one person's life is great. One last question. Uh, what is one piece of actionable advice that everyone can learn from you? Be passionate and work hard. Thank you so much, Valerie, for inviting me today and giving me an opportunity to not only meet Susie, but actually learn from her, find out more about the brand and just her story, I mean, about her life and everything and how she got to where it is today. I mean, it's been amazing to be here. So thank you again for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And thanks again. Thank you again, Sky and Susie, for taking the time to speak with us and share your incredible story. And if you're looking for a truly inspiring page turner, please, please go read I'm Not Really a Waitress, which comes out March 12th, 2019. And of course, Susie, thank you for putting together this simply stunning collection. Um, I'm excited to try all of the colors, which I haven't yet. And a big thank you again to Ulta for creating an amazing and exclusive coupon just for us. So remember to head to ulta.com and use the code OPIWAITRESS for 15% off the entire collection, which is good through January 26, 2019. And also, you can follow Susie on social media at First Lady of Colors on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And that is spelled with the number one ST, so First Lady of Colors. So please follow her on her social channels. And I'd also like to take a moment to thank everyone who's listening. If you've enjoyed today's interview with Susie, please subscribe where you love to listen to your podcasts, and we would love if you'd leave a review.